1: Hello everyone and welcome to the latest edition of the Pro Basketball Talk podcast here at NBC Sports. I'm Kurt Helan, managing editor of NBC Sports NBA page with you as always and today well, we're taking your questions. You guys are setting the tone for the show. There's a lot of Knicks up front. We're going to talk with Tommy Beer who covers the Knicks for Forbes Magazine as well as writes for Roto World here at NBC Sports. Plus we're going to take your questions on a variety of other things. Why are we even wasting time on anything else? Let's just get to this and bring in Tommy. How's it going, Tommy?
0: Doing pretty good. A little uh, start of the season, got plenty to talk about. We got a, enough uh, little sample size to have some good discussions and also plenty to look forward to. So uh, I certainly can't complain.
1: Yeah, I think we've reached that point in the season. I mean, it's it's still early, but you've reached the point where you know, we're 10, 12 games in, around 10 for most teams the statistics have a little weight. Uh, you can start to put, I mean, yeah, look, there's some flukes out there and some stuff will come back to earth or other teams will catch up. But in general, you're starting to like, there's some, at least some weight to everything. You kind of see what the flash in the pans are, what's going to fade, what's not. You, you can kind of get a sense of things now. Absolutely.
0: You know, we kind of have the, the, you know, the everything we expected, like Andrew Wiggins being the best player in the NBA, you know, that yeah. that's been, been true. Uh, and uh but yes, yes, as you mentioned, uh, there's still certainly some some cases for things to kind of level themselves off. But I think for the most part, um, what we see is is kind of um, you know again can can have some validity to it, um, and uh, certainly makes for some uh, interesting talking points.
1: It does. We're, we're going to start with your team, uh, the uh, team you cover and talk with uh, for Forbes out there, the beloved New York Knicks. Tommy, I, I guess my first question is, WTF? <laughs> Yeah, that sounds
0: about right, um, and I, I think that's the uh, the seventy million dollar question. I, I, I of course don't have the answer to, um, but yes, uh, the, the, you know, every year, ten or so games in, we, there's some fluctuation and some teams and some surprises. But it seems every year, uh, about uh, ten games in or so, for the at least for this century, I, I won't speak to last century, but for this century, um, the Knicks have been one of the teams at or near the bottom of the standings, and this year has been no different. Um, They've increased the drama um, a little bit this season by already having a coach on the hot seat and general managers and presidents uh, speaking to the assembled press corps immediately following blowout losses to the Cavs at home. Um, So, yes, we have plenty of drama, um, which is is certainly almost always the case, and plenty of losses, which is uh, par for the course as well.
1: Uh, Let's start with this. I, I find it interesting, you know, look, first off, and this has been said by a lot of people. It's not just me, but I was thinking it when it happened. When when Steve Mills and Scott Perry were up, you know, in front of the media after a game uh, at Madison Square Garden recently, I'm like, that got ordered. Like nobody walks out and does that post game. GMs and 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 team presidents. That was ordered by Dolan. We know that they talked at half. That I just think that that had to go down that way. It leads me to this sense that, and I think this is true among Knicks fans. But look, I expect fans. Look, if you're a fan, you should have high expectations. You should be overly optimistic about your team, regardless of what you know where they are. That's just the nature of it. But there seemed to be a real expectation within the Knicks organization that this team was pretty good, that this team had a shot at the playoffs, that that, that it was legit. And they're kind of finding out now real quickly that, I mean, they've had some injuries and what have you, but they're finding out they're not. And, and there's a real disappointment that I think for a lot of people, when you looked at this team from the outside, they said, man. This roster is ill-fitting. It's not that talented. It's going to be a rough season, but I don't think they saw it coming.
0: Uh, two things I agree with you on the ordering of the press conference I mean listen this is a, a front office that hasn't spoken with the media even in good times yeah. you know or or you know times when they have things to kind of crow about as rare as that may be they, they've kind of gone radio silent uh, very few limited opportunities for the press to speak with um, those two individuals um, so and, and you think that if any time they didn't want to speak it would be on the heels of an embarrassing blowout loss um, to clean. Cleveland at home this the second time in a week that they've been embarrassed by a subpar opponent on their home floor. Um, and yes, I, I do think I agree with you that they certainly you fans obviously have high expectations and coaches and and the trainers and the, and the secretaries in the organization obviously all hope for the best heading into the season. I, I certainly think there is some, you know, uh, I think you're correct that they probably believed a little bit too strongly in the talent that they brought in. But I think, to be fair to them, their biggest issue, as much as the losses and the record speak volumes, it's the effort yeah. that the team has, or lack thereof, that the team has shown on a relatively consistent basis. You know, It's one thing to be 2-8, and eight, but to lose by 30 points to the Kings when they were 0-5, uh, to, to get blown off the floor, be down by 20 points in the first quarter to the Cavs, uh, and never come within 13 points in the second half um, in a game that was kind of a – and, you know, these are essentially must-win games because, believe it or not, this is the easy part of the next schedule, these next couple home games. Before they go on the road, um, they, I believe it's 11 straight teams they they, they play starting November 20th that uh, qualified for the postseason last year. And I I think six of those games are on the road. So things could go from ugly to bad to really, really, really bad um, in short order here. Um, But I think from a um, management standpoint, I think that's kind of what's been most surprising and probably most alarming has been that, the you know, you just get a sense that the team has come out dead and flat. And that's just something you don't expect from a bad team early in the season. That's talking a good game. We're similar to the '90s Knicks. We're dogs, and they've kind of laid down. And that's that's unacceptable.
1: Um, I've, I'm going to tie in from there. Like the one, of the, we got several questions on the Knicks, but the first one we got, uh, I just want to jump in from from the. Um, I, I'm going to guess that this guy's a little biased. Is it's fire Steve Mills <laughs> uh, at Nico Greenbeard. When Steve Mills gets fired, who can the Knicks look to hire for the next uh, pre- president of Basketball Operations GM? I, I, my follow-up to that really quickly, though, is is Mills really going to be the fall guy, or is this seems to be aiming at Fisdale.
0: Yeah, I, I think, and as has been discussed, um, you know, Woj talked about it and, and some other plugged-in reporters have noted that it's kind of people ducking for cover right now. It's You get yeah. the sense that Dolan's unhappy um, and that, you know, he's looking to shake things up, and I think – um, you know, fairly or not, it's being seen as Fizdale, um, as Perry and Mills throwing Fizzdale under the bus or at least throwing some some, you know, meat to the sharks while the while the virtual while the vultures are circling. Um, and that's that's a, a fair assessment. Um, and I my kind of take is and I, and I wrote about this earlier this week, is that no one is, escapes blame here. Yeah. Yes. You know, yes. Mills and Perry, they provided the chef with very poor ingredients, you know, um, you know, too much of, uh, of, uh, one thing, not enough, you know, variety. You power exactly. Exactly. And even though those, those power forwards are, are, versatile, some, you know, Bobby Portis can play some center and, and Marcus Morris can play some small forward and they needed to add some depth on the front line. I understand all that, but the players they added were inefficient offensive scorers. Um, they were kind of role players that, Um, probably had saw this as an opportunity to kind of be the the man for a little while, Um, and it's it's just been a bad fit. So that being said, the players that Mills – obviously things went off the rails once Kevin Durant. Even before, I think even before he decided to sign with Brooklyn, I think kind of the turning point, the pivot point in this whole thing is when his Achilles snapped. In game five of the finals, because if you listen to anybody that that, you know, that that had an opinion that was in and around the league, it it was seemed as as almost an uncertainty um, that Durant was headed to New York, whether that changed because of the Achilles injuries or whether these really plugged in sources were way, way off. um, You know, I guess it it depends on on how you want to look at it. Um, but obviously, when, when when Durant and Kyrie went to Brooklyn, they were in a really rough spot. I think they kind of probably panicked a little bit and wanted to um, uh, get some semblance of we're moving in the right direction. And, and I think to a certain extent, they wanted to kind of follow the Brooklyn blueprint where we make incremental increases in progress while also developing our young core. So. The next time we go shopping for free agents, we don't have a 17 and 65 record. We have a 35 and 45, you know, something yeah. along those lines. Um, we're, we're in the mid-30s. We're a piece or two away. Come join us. So I think that was the um, was was the, the Mills and Perry belief. So they, they assembled this roster that they thought would be competitive, not necessarily a winning team, you know, not necessarily an eighth seed, but maybe 30 wins, 35 wins, something in that neighborhood. On the other end of the spectrum, you have David Fisdale. He's been the coach for about 18 months now. And from where I sit, it's hard to see that he's established himself as a a quality head coach. I understand he's had very poor talent to work with. I don't put the 17-win season on him, um, you know, to a large extent. But they came in with more talent this year. And, you know, if you look at some of the kind of analytics – um, and the things we can study, the, you know, the kind of X's and O's, it's just it's hard to look at that 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 picture and uh, attach a grade, a passing grade for Fisdale, You know, in terms of um, you, you know pick and roll offense, they're they're near the bottom of the league. Mo, you know, in terms of cuts, you know, the NBA synergy data, um, they're one of the la- they're they're second to last in, in, in assists, and they run isolations. Uh, they're one of the top five teams in terms of in terms of total post ups, but they don't have the, um, uh, the 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 Carl Anthony Towns or the um, Nikola Jokic's that other teams that run a lot of post ups do. Um, so even though he's had some poor ingredients to work with, the meal he's cr- the meal he's cooked up has really been disgusting, and I think he has to get some of that blame as well.
1: I, I'm with you on that. A couple of things fear, I mean, I was watching that, uh, or as much as I could stomach of that Cleveland game. And my first thought was, look, you're going against with Sexton and Garland and the guys they've got back, that's a terrible defensive backcourt. And if you go against Cleveland, you just, you're on some, you you attack that in ways. They didn't, they really just didn't go at the obvious weakness of the other team. And that's, that's been a thing for a while. I'll just say around the league with Fisdale, he has some really strong supporters. Remember when he got to let go in Memphis um, and LeBron James and Dwayne Wade, when he was an assistant with the Heat, he was beloved. That's not universal, uh, both among players and really with front offices. I don't know that he's a head co- like. There's a lot of GMs who are kind of down on him as a, as a head coaching prospect. And the other thing, by the way, just to... Just to, just just real quick, ahead.
0: just real quick on that. I think that's one of the reasons he got hired. To be honest, I yeah. think the plan was: Fisdale and Perry saw that outward, you know, that kind of gushing of support from really stark players, and thought that he would kind of be the selling, you know, he'd be the face of the 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 the, the guy giving the, the PowerPoint presentations, the the Durant's and the Irvings of the world, and that would, he would kind of uh, seal a deal with them in that respect. Yeah, but that obviously. Didn't
1: yeah, happen. and I think by the way, I think that's a good point, and and it's also elite. I will say this: elite players see coaches as dispensable. Like yes. they really do not be get Popovich kind of the exception, but in general, they do not get recruited by the coach. Uh, look, let's look LeBron and Anthony Davis are playing for Luke Walton. And now Frank Vogel, was, yeah, exactly. it was not the coaches, man. Um, yep. I, I will say this too. I just, from a source, I really would trust on this. Um, the, the Knicks, on Durant and some of the summer stuff I was just told the Knicks blew it like yeah. that it that they had their chance and it just didn't go their way and I'm not going to get into a lot of the details of it uh other to say that like somebody I trust really told told me that so um you go from there I, I think Fisdale could be in trouble which leads to another question uh we got and I forgot to write down the name of the person who put it in there but will Mark Jackson be the next Knicks coach
0: Yeah, I would be Nick fans. Be careful what you wish for because if you want Finsil out and bring in Mark Jackson, that is not a a step in the right direction. I don't I don't think Mark Jackson is the guy that's going to lead this team um, forward. It makes some sense. He has New York roots, um, a beloved player at St. John's. Obviously, one Rookie of the Year for the Knicks, nineteen eighty seven and his respected point guard in the league, but there's just, you know, based on his days and, and his, you know, it, you talk about a lack of innovative offense um, when he was with the Warriors, even though it was quite a few years ago, um, it certainly didn't scream a guy that was, you know, on the cutting edge of, uh, of basketball here. Um, so I don't think that would be a smart decision for the Knicks, um, but with this franchise, it would, you know, it would make sense in the, in the fact that it would be a popular uh, among some fans, uh, you know, kind of among the casual fans, the populace. Um, it's a known name, uh, you know, that might help sell tickets, et cetera um so it certainly can't be dispersed.
1: yeah it's a it's a good PR move uh you know yeah. we'll see who else they would look at there I mean obviously Jason Kidd's name would come up there would be others um uh and Jason Kidd another guy known for his innovative offense so <laughs> exactly exactly uh, It couldn't work with you I'm yeah I'm not sure what direction they go but uh it's it's sloppy and ugly and like you said they're about to head into the now they're about to head into the tough part of the schedule so it's it's going to be it's going to be a rough season um you know, start watching. I was gonna say, start watching games of James Weissman. Sorry, you're not gonna get to watch <laughs> games of James Weissman. Uh, so you Cole Anthony's out there? Try some other Cole guys,
0: Anthony, yeah. Could fly out to Australia, watch some Lamella Ball highlights.
1: I gotta just say that I've heard some interesting things about him. Like, he's got a little bit of a quirky shot, too. Um, you know, oh, oh, yeah. and uh, there was some instant love because he was putting up some numbers in a league with men, and look. NBA players, not only Andrew Bogut came out of there. I'll just I'll use my own guy, Long Beach State's own James Ennis, man, to, just to pump up Long Beach. Yeah. But yeah, hey, he went not played there a year. Came back a much better player. Like you can do that, but there was a gushing at first, and then they started really watching some stuff. And there's there's been more questions. So we'll we'll see where that lands. I
0: think I think you're right on the money. I think he was. You know, he's a little bit underrated just because of kind of the backlash against the, the, you know, the triple B and, you know, all this and all the kind of nonsense and his showboating 50 point, you know, half court fadeaways, etc. And then he kind of played. Pretty good over his first, you know, posted some decent yeah. statistics and shot relatively well from the floor. He's obviously shown some some passing vision, which I didn't, you know, just just from watching the highlights, um, that, that I wasn't right. But I think you're right. Now that 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 hype has kind of exceeded his actual ability, and I think he'll start to kind of plummet back down yeah. to earth. um In, in the, in the I mean,
1: there was there was always a sense that he was he was up there with Lonzo as potentially like an NBA level player and stuff. Uh, but the number one pick type of thing, I, I think that that's fading pretty fast. We'll see what. Uh, We'll see. We'll see. It's a, we're a long way from the draft. A lot of things can change. Uh, Tommy, you ready for some reader questions? Let's get uh, we'll get off of the Knicks and on to uh, some questions from readers. But uh, the first one, we're gonna stay in New York. Uh, Nico Ray, Anima Vestra at Nico Ray79. Uh, is Kyrie like that hot steps stepsister that you want? But as soon as you all get together, it gets messy fast. And my my first thought is there, Nico. That is very specific. That is, that is A very specific <laughs> analogy. Um, I'm, I'm kind of curious what's going on in your life with uh, you know, p- potential stepsisters. Um,
0: that, that, that sounds that sounds like it kid's kind of close to home yeah. for Nico there. I, I don't yeah, know about
1: it. I got my questions there. Um, you know I <laughs> And I, by the way, never had stepsisters, so I'm not even going to begin to comment on that one, <laughs> that part of it. But but I, I think we all get the general gist. I mean, the Nets are not off to the fastest start. I mean, what's your impression of Kyrie in the Nets so far?
0: It's it's a fast – coming into the season, I thought it was one of the more fascinating subplots, kind of storylines of, of the 2019-20 season. Um, was Kyrie kind of returning home to Brooklyn, even though he's not from no. Brooklyn, you know, he's from New Jersey. Um, but, uh, you know, that, that's, that kind of being the storyline, he's ready to kind of, you know, lead as an alpha male, even though it didn't work out in Boston. I thought it was a very interesting uh, – I thought the Nets were in a very interesting position because if you have the chance to get Durant and kind of the you know the 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 price of admission is giving Kyrie Irving a max salary, it's it's a no brainer. You have to do it. You don't you don't ask too many questions. You don't overthink it. You don't you know you just, you just go ahead and do it. That being said, this is a guy that while talented and extremely clutch, and he's played well in big games, and he can carry you in a playoff series, and he has arguably the best handle of anybody I've ever seen in my entire life. He's a guy that not only is injury prone, and it sounds like he's dealing with the shoulder injury right now is questionable for tonight's game. Um, but that doesn't include the three surgeries on his knee um, and, the, and the hardware that he had to get replaced in his knee. He's also a guy that's just kind of a different yeah. dude, like a, a different character, um, you know, a, a free thinker, so to speak. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see. And I thought if they got off to kind of a rocky start, how would they handle it? Because remember, the the Nets were the lovable underdogs last year. They, they they were supposed to be the worst team for the next 50 years cuz they made the worst t- trade in sports history but somehow they you know credit tons of credit to Sean Marks and Kenny Atkinson for installing a culture and and you know and using their cap space the right way renting it out and getting draft picks and and nailing those draft picks with LaVert and Jared Allen in the 20s um and you know and signing Spencer Dinwiddie off off the trash heap and him turning into a good player and they just kind of had that feel good story last year, where wow, this team was supposed to be one of the worst teams in the league, and they're sneaking into the playoffs and and scaring playoff teams, and all of a sudden they instead of you know that natural progression from good to better to to championship contender to really good, they went from. Underdog to you know championship favorite, um, you know kind of overnight. Yeah, obviously, they're they're not a, a you know a true favorite this year with Durant sitting out the season, um, but that puts more responsibility and more pressure on Durant. So if they got rid of you know they got rid of the, the D'Angelo Russell and some other you know Jar- Jared Dudley, even though he was you know obviously not a key contributor statistically, was a, was a big part of that piece. Um, Ed Davis was an important part of the team. They just got rid of some guys that had played well and were comfortable and roles, Damari Carroll, another, for instance, and they, you know, they kind of, they tried to microwave the winning process. And sometimes that can have some adverse effects. And I think we're starting to see it. Um, Lavert's dinged up right now. He's going to miss a couple weeks with the thumb. We'll see if Kyrie can stay healthy. Um, but there, they, it will be very interesting if the, you know, the losing starts to weigh on that team and the expectations are with the expectations as they are, how does Kyrie handle those questions day in, day out, as we know, it didn't go all that well in Boston.
1: No, it didn't. Uh, First off, a couple of things with them too. The offense has actually been good. Yes. Like they're scoring points, the offensively. And this is with Spencer Dimwitty, who I, you know, coming into the year I picked him as a preseason sixth man of the year, and he has not played up to that level at all. He struggled. Um, You you mentioned the price of admission of bringing in Kevin Durant. It was Kyrie Irving. I would argue that the price of admission was four years, 40 million for DeAndre (laughs) Jordan. Yeah. and that's been the, that one, I mean, at least they're starting Jared Allen. Jared Allen is so much better for them oh on the floor. That it's, I mean,
0: DeAndre Jordan has been a bad defender for years and he's just getting exploited now. Yeah. Not to mention three years from now when he's making another 10 million.
1: Yeah, it's, yeah. So you enjoy that contract for a yeah. while. That that one was the, that, that to me was the one. I, Brooklyn though, I still think they're, I don't know. I still think they're going to be able to play a little bit better defense. The other part of this though, and you mentioned the, to me, what was the most interesting thing to watch this year? They had built a culture of hard work. They had built a culture of of doing, you know, doing things their way, Annette's way, that was a little bit different. And it really worked for them. They got guys who fit with that. And Dimwitty bought in and Karis Lavert bought in and, and Jared Allen and they had these kind of grinding gritty guys. They went and got two superstars who do things their way. And yeah. and you always have to bend the culture to superstars a little. And, you know, certain organizations, the Lakers have done that for years. The Clippers took a different route this year, right? Like they built a gritty, tough, Patrick Beverly-based, you know, Patrick Beverly Matre's Harrell based culture. Then they went and got two superstars in Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, who are lunch pail guys, who are, yeah. you know, not number one picks. And and they, yeah, they've got obviously. Kawhi in particular, he's got some quirks and some things he wants to do and some th- ways he wants things done. And we'll get into that a little bit more in another question. But it at least makes – there was a real logical fit sense. You're really having to adjust your culture to adjust to Kyrie Irving. And I think that there's just some of that going on too, that everybody's trying to get on the same page there.
0: I, I think that's a really good point because the Nets were one of the very rare teams in the NBA where they didn't have a truce, where they were a good team but they didn't have a true superstar. It was almost like the yeah. face of the franchise was kind of the Marks Atkinson culture. You know, you know that was the front. That was yeah. kind of the, you know, the, the emblem of the team. Um, you know, obviously Russell had a great year, became an all-star and, you know, they had, they had some other pieces that were all, but it was all part of this collective and everyone kind of fit under the same umbrella. And when you get a kind of diva-ish player like Kyrie Irving, where well, there were already some rumblings that he didn't want to practice one day and didn't want to be photographed. And there's just, in the past, you know, Atkinson could probably have said, Get out of my gym, but you can't do that with the Durant's and the Irvings of the world. So it's it's to your point. It's a very interesting. You know, they'll walk that tightrope and and figure that out.
1: And they've and they've got some time. Again, they don't have Durant this year. The pressure isn't really on them because I think we all kind of saw them as a probably a first round and out. Maybe they can make it to the second round, kind of team going into this season. And they're look, we're ten games in. They're in the mix for one of those playoff spots, and I still expect that they would get one. We'll just see how that shakes out long term for them right Uh, all right let's move on to the next question it's actually a two-parter from uh the sawyer and sal show at the sawyer and sal show or sawyer and sal show um question number one tommy how you doing how you been
0: uh i'm good are they going to ask about any uh relative stepsisters or stepmoms or anything uh, apparently they have had
1: no weird family relations at least that we know of um and i'm I'm doing good okay yeah exactly (laughs) I, i i yeah and by the way i you know it's one of those things where i'm like people ask you that all hey how you doing i'm like there's about they talk ask me about my work and i'm like are there things i can complain about at my job of course there are every job Dude, yep. we cover the NBA for a living, man. I work in a candy store. At the end of the day, there's just, it's not going to be that bad. Uh, we'll get on to their actual question, which is another interesting one. Uh, question number two with them. I think we all know what we're seeing with Luka Doncic this season, which, by the way, it's like they didn't say this. I'm like, that's borderline MVP level play. Yep. But what are your feelings about Kristaps Porzingis in their first 10 games, Tommy?
0: Yeah, the KP scenario, obviously, um, it, the, the, the Porzingis situation. I'm, I'm headed to the Garden in a few hours, actually. Um, you know, Porzingis is making his way to uh, is, is – they're obviously playing the Knicks Thursday night on a nationally televised game. Um, so there will be a lot of uh, excitement yeah. and energy in the building tonight. Um, listen, KP struggled a little bit his first 10 games. Um, I, I tweeted it out uh, yesterday or the other day. Um, he's the only player in the league averaging over 15 field goal attempts – while shooting 40% or worse, and below 70% from the from the free throw line, um, you know he's always been a relatively inefficient offensive player. Um, dynamic in the, in, in the fact that he can, um, but he's also one of the only two players in the league to average 18, seven, and two blocks. Um, you know, one of the only players in the league average two blocks and two three pointers, which speaks to kind of his unicornian abilities. Um, but that being said, that the Mavericks, if you look at the the off the on off analytics. Are a much much better team when Kristaps Porzingis is on the bench. Um, yeah. He has the worst plus minus on the team. Um, they, they score they, uh, they score about 125 points per 100 possessions when he is off the floor. Only about 105 points uh, per 100 possessions when he was on the court. Um, overall, they're about eight points better when he's not on the floor. Um, that being said, he's gonna. It's only a matter of time before he kind of works off that rust and shows flashes of the brilliant generational talent that he is. Um, So in in answer to that first question, I think it all comes down to his health. You know, can he stay healthy? Um, If so, I I, I don't have much doubt that he'll develop into a legitimate top 25-ish player and a true superstar in the league, and him and Luka um, will be a dynamic duo force to contend with. However, that's a big if. Um, if this guy can stay healthy. Because remember, it wasn't just the ACL injury. This was during his first three seasons with Knicks, had ankle issues, had an elbow issue. Um, He's been in the, this is his fifth NBA season. Chris Stapps-Borzingas has played one one game in April in his entire career. Not just the playoffs, just one game past March in his entire NBA career. And this is his fifth season. So he needs to prove he can stay healthy in order to, for Mavericks fans, legitimately believe that he can kind of be the the foundational building block that can take him and turn them into championship contenders. Yeah,
1: I think to be fair, we have to say this. He missed 19 months of basketball. He's played nine games. It's yeah. just—it's way too early to make a really solid judgment on him. You mentioned this though, and I think it's important. A lot of the hype in New York was about what he could be because he hadn't yet become efficient. He was dealing with injuries. He wasn't really—you you could see what he could be, but he hadn't gotten there yet. Dallas yes. has to get him there, and—and and again, this was always going to take a little bit of time. He missed so mm-hmm. much time, but he's got to become more efficient of a scorer and playmaker and stuff, or it's not going to work. I mean, look, this is Luka Doncic's team. Don't get me wrong. Um, he has been unbelievable this year. And, and yeah, like quietly into that. It's way too, again, way too early to discuss postseason awards of any kind, even though we're going to keep doing that. Uh, but he's at least got to, you, you have to put him on a watch list though. He's been like that good for MVP. He's been that good oh. this season. We'll see if uh, he's just go ahead. He's been so, So incredibly good. And I think that really, really benefits Porzingis
0: because I think the issue kind of long term in New York was he's not suited to kind of be the one, the the alpha male. He's a perfect second banana, you know, because on the night and night out basis. And I don't know if there's a, you know, remember, Luca hasn't even turned 21 yet. So that, I mean, that's just scary proposition. So to see those two guys develop together is as a Maverick fan, you got to be insanely.
1: Yeah. And there's some other nice pieces there. Like this is not, this is a team that's, that's like, I kind of like how they're constructed um, with, you know, Maxi Kleber is played well. Uh, you know, guys like Dale on and Jalen Brunson and you know, JJ Barea is always entertaining. It is <laughs> making plays for them. Uh, he's only been in a game, one yeah. game, but I mean, Tim Hardaway's out there getting some buckets. You can put some pieces around them that make this work. Um, but they're not a bad team. Like they're, they're again, I, they started off fairly fast, uh, get really elite offense behind Luca. If the defense can catch up a little bit, uh, they can be potentially be a playoff team in the West, but I think, yeah, with Porzingis for me personally, it's just, I'll have a, I'll have a better feel of what I think about him when we get a little farther into the season. It's been a, it's been a rid of a rough start, but I also just kind of, I just kind of expected a rough start. So.
0: Yeah, I mean, as you point out, it was 610 days from the time he tore his ACL in the garden that night against Milwaukee to opening night when he took his first shot. So you got you to gotta cut the guy some slack. In
1: that yeah, exactly. Respect. We got to. Um, next question from Alfredo Rodriguez, uh, which was an email question. You can always email the podcast with questions or comments at Podcast at gmail.com. That's pbt as in Pro Basketball Talk, podcast at gmail.com alfredo alfredo rodriguez a regular a listener of the podcast who's sent us questions before had a long one I'm, I'm going to tighten it up a little bit just for the point of the question but he said lob city was showtime it was billboards and commercials and highlight reels and hypes the Kawhi leonard clippers are silent no noise no drama no highlights are the clippers basically the new spurs are, i mean are they similar to the duncan era spurs in that way um By the way, I'm just going to say as somebody out here in L.A., I don't think it's necessarily that way. There are billboards all over this city taking (laughs) direct aim at the Lakers, you know, uh, the kind of grit over glitz type of stuff that there are variants of all over town. Jordan, they're never going to be the hype of the Lakers, but there is they're filling up the building and it's pretty loud for Clipper games right now. Like there's there is a fan base that is latched onto this team.
0: Absolutely, and deservedly so, because they have every reason to believe that they will be hoisting the Larry O'Brien trophy in about seven or eight yeah. months from now. Um, they, they, I mean, they are that talented from, you know, even you can see it, even when Kawhi sets out, that the amount of depth they have um, defensively, obviously, you know, with, with George and Leonard and, and Pat Beverly is kind of the focal point in your defensive attack. Nobody wants to go against that. Although, according to Russell Westbrook, Pat Beverly is overrated. <laughs> hey, but,
1: by the way, the, the best the, part of that is, the ESPN had to put up their tracking stats on that just because he said that and Westbrook was, was like over, over sticks, six, I think it was, yeah, three. whatever it was. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so
0: yes. Yes. So I, I think I, I get the sense that w- book may not be the, uh, the, the most uh, independent subjective <laughs> opinion of, of uh, you know? um, but uh, yeah, I think it's, you know, th- there is some, uh, th- there certainly is, uh, you can make a correlation, a comparison between the, the Clippers and the Duncan Aeros Spurs. Um what what's interesting is the fact that um you know there's a lot of talk about, you know, load management, et cetera. Yeah, I was going um, I was gonna ask you about that, so you know, but one of the interesting thing is the reality is that it kind of started with Tim du- with with Tim Duncan and Greg oh, yeah. Popovich in San Antonio. You know, we're, we're the infamous DMP old yeah. that 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 Popovich used a few years ago. You know, he's one of the you know it. it, it you wouldn't think it. You know, a, a kind of a gruff, hard nosed and and Popovich obviously has that uh, that reputation, but he's actually done a good job. Um, you know, he was one of the kind of the innovators of that whole strategy. We got an older team; let's keep them fresh for the playoffs, and because that's what matters most. Yeah,
1: exactly. And and it's expanded from there. Uh, you know, I, I'm going to ask you more about this. I've I've written about this a couple times in in the last few days, and I I have you know and talked about it on on podcasts and and uh, and on radio interviews where I'm. look, the science is really clear. Ultimately, there needs to be fewer NBA games, but it's bigger than that. Uh, it, it's talking yes. about a restructuring of how AAU works, frankly, in terms of like yeah. these tournaments where LeBron is talking about, you know, Bronny and his other uh, the younger son, whose name suddenly something skip, but like they go to a tournament and they're like, Hey, we got five games today. No, that's a horrible idea. Yeah. You know, and I've got, I've got a daughter, I have two daughters really, but one daughter who plays at a fairly high level of youth soccer. Um, and we get tournaments where there's two games in a day and up to four on a weekend, maybe five, five, eh three day if it's a three day weekend you could get a fifth game in. That's a strain on these girls. You can start to see the you can see the wear on them by the end and the and you're like, man, I just hope I hope that those fatigued muscles, you're watching it thinking, I just I don't want my daughter tearing yeah. an ACL or getting hurt because you yeah. just can see the fatigue in their you know, <laughs> these are 13 year old girls who are like, Yeah, I'm ready to go to bed like early. They're just worn All out. Right. Um yep. And then, our, you know, fortunately, we've got a coach who's like, "All right, after a tournament like that, we're taking some time off, do some recovery." <laughs> like, really, if we practice, it's a walk through type of thing. We're not doing physical stuff, um, and kind of gets it. But I think parents have to manage that kind of stuff too, and that's a you know, a whole sidelight. But we're talking about a restructuring of of sort of how AU is, and and all the way through to keep some of this stuff, so you don't end up, you know, Baxter Homes had a great example of with the story he did on this a couple you know on, on the young players that he had over you know over the summer there's a great story you can find it from Baxter Holmes at ESPN about the problems with guys by the time they get to the league they've got all sorts of things that require load management because of all the games they'd played in their youth and he's talking about Julius Randall losing his whole rookie year on a play where he look he went up to dunk and he landed that's it nobody touched him nothing and he shattered his leg because of wear and tear over the years it wasn't you know it's just um the issues are bigger than just the nba but i just the science says you've kind of got to you've got to handle this especially if you've got somebody like Kawhi leonard what was tommy you saw by the end of the finals man he was dragging those legs between the knee and the quad he he was starting to show the wear and tear of just the playoffs
0: a hundred percent. And and listen, I mean that, and, and it's funny because a lot of, a lot of times players will get criticized if they don't perform well in the yeah. postseason. season, you know, right. That's the rings culture. You know, it doesn't matter if you have bad teammates and your team doesn't advance far in the postseason. season. If you don't win a title, you stink, yada, yada, yada. But at the same time, so when players rest to perform at their best, in the postseason, as Kawhi Leonard did, he didn't take a night off in the postseason. He averaged over 39 minutes a game in the playoffs and carried the Raptors to their first title. You know, the, the Raptors lead a blueprint. You know, let's, let's focus on the big picture here. I understand it's not fair to the fans. Um, I understand they're going to be upset. But at the same time, that's not... Uh, you know, Nick Nurse's, you know, he, he can't worry about, you know, five years from now when the when the when Adam Silver renegotiates the contract with the with ESPN and TNT, et cetera. He's got to worry about winning a championship this season, you know, and, and what helps the team is is Kawhi taking a day off. You know, same with Doc Rivers. Kawhi Leonard, you know, getting rest during the season. And also, you want to keep these guys around and have them re-sign contracts, et cetera. And the thing that bothers me is the knock that these players are quote unquote <laughs> soft because they want to offer or their, or their coaches are instructing them that they're not playing this evening. Um, you know, if you presented this information that we now have to the Larry bird, who, you know, who, who is, who walks with a limp, um, you know, and and all these other players that were so tough that didn't know what they were doing. You know, it's, it's, it, it. thank God it's not as bad as the NFL with the CTE. Um, but now that we have the information that these players that what well, they want to pick up their grandchildren and take them to a park, um, you know, it's just playing 82 games that marathon schedule and grinding out every night is just you know there's some freaks of nature, the Karl Malones, the John Stocktons that can get away with it, um, but the majority of of human beings and human athletes simply cannot. Take that wear and tear, and now we have the science. It's not a guesstimate. It's not a hey. This seems like a lot of games. There's actual physical data um, that t- that that informs us that this is not the right way to handle yeah. the situation.
1: No, and there is a growing amount of data across multiple sports about the impact of injuries and and the level and the level of play. The NBA will be happy to tell you, like teams on the second night of a back to back just don't play as well. They don't shoot as well. So there there's there's a lot to it. It's not really going away. I still think ultimately you're gonna see the league try to reduce to like seventy games, but that's a that's a whole other podcast. I mean, that is a complex <laughs> financial issue. I, I wanted to ask you this, for people who don't know, Tom also uh does a lot of writing for fantasy stuff for Roto World for NBC. When you're dealing with your fantasy team, how do you handle load management? You just have to look ahead and say, Oh, this looks like a game Kawhi could sit.
0: Yeah, it's certainly one of those situations when you're sitting in your lineup week to week, and even during the draft, you kind of have to pencil in Kawhi Leonard for missing, you know, 15 games uh, due to load management, but I I think it almost hurts Kawhi less because so many other players uh, and so many other teams are, rightfully so, kind of adopting a similar philosophy. Um, You know, even the younger players. We've seen John Morant, for instance, in Memphis. uh, They've rested Brandon Clark and Morant um, uh, the second night of a back-to-back, their first back-to-back of the season. We'll see if they kind of do that going forward, but again, Morant uh played a ton of minutes at Murray State um, is coming off a knee surgery he's obviously an explosive you know incredible athlete but he weighs probably a you know a buck 90 um so it's difficult to you know run through screens and, and deal with these professional you know he's a 19 year old kid dealing with you know 28 year old grown men on a night in night in night out basis you know they're gonna have him you know uh try to punish him whenever he comes into the paint um so yeah i, I just think it's one of those situations from a fantasy perspective where you got obviously going to be cognizant of it um but it's not like Kawhi leonard's the only player you have to avoid you just kind of you know know i'll plug roto world you got to update your browser on a on a daily basis uh, multiple times a day to figure out who's actually active for that night that night's game um, and make sure you set your lineup accordingly
1: yeah exactly especially for daily fantasy it's a little easier sometimes i'll say this if you're trying to do your weekly stuff the clippers are prioritizing in those back-to-backs wins um the games they know they can win like to use the example of everybody's talking about, oh, I wanted to see him against Giannis Antetokounmpo and, and the Bucs. Well, the Bucs are really good. And if Kawhi plays against the Bucs, maybe the Clippers win. Yeah. But that's a tough one. Or they could play him against a struggling Portland team, who, by the way, is in conference. So, like, the tiebreakers yeah. and the seeding stuff matters more. But if we play him against that team, we are way more likely to win. And they're prioritizing getting the sure thing win rather than kind of trying to, I don't know if you call it maximize wins. Like, Hey, maybe we could win both of these. That's not really how they're doing it. When they're making these decisions, it's about uh, doing both. Although they've become interesting. Now I think you just start to stagger the rest between Paul George and and Kawhi Leonard. Right. Yep. So doc doc doc's smart about this, but doc's also coached a championship team and he knows everybody in that organization to a man knows what they're doing. And uh, I was on the radio the other day and they're like, Hey, what do you say to the fans who, you know, bought tickets for this game and are mad because they don't get to see Kawhi Leonard? I'm like, if you're a Clipper fan, yeah. go find a Raptor fan and ask them if they'd yeah. trade those uh, 22 yeah. games in 100%. the regular season for the title.
0: 100. percent. This is a big picture thing, um, and exactly, if I'm if I'm a if I'm a Clippers fan, um, you know, I, yes, I'd love to see Kawhi, but I'd love to see Kawhi in a championship parade more than a regular season game in November.
1: Absolutely. One last question from Swaggy M, uh, Mr. Pure Intensity. This is kind of an interesting one. It's talking Celtics lineup. Is Thomas Bryant, who's playing for the Wizards right now, is Thomas Bryant a good fit for the Celtics? And if so, could they? You know, what kind of package would be put together to trade for him? Boston is obviously look, and I think you and I said this before the season. It's like. I always thought Kemba Walker could fill in admirably for he doesn't do everything. Kyrie Irving is a better player on the court chemistry and all that stuff maybe makes up for it. They were going to miss Al Horford and Aaron Baines. Yeah. And by the way, yeah. Baines is oh absolutely phenomenal uh, for Phoenix right now uh, as the way he's playing for DeAndre Ayton. They miss it at the five. There's a lot of talk about, about trying to fill in that spot, but I'm not sure Thomas Bryant is really the answer.
0: I agree with you. Um, but at the same time, they do need a defensive big. I, I, yeah. I think that's something that's gonna eventually really catch up to them. Obviously they're they're scorching hot right now. And in yes. the regular season, they'll they'll win enough games where it won't be a, a major issue. They'll score enough points, etc. But in a half court, grinded out second round of the Eastern Conference playoffs, if you have Ennis Cantor um, you know, on the floor for for long stretches, um, as Billy Donovan inf- infamously once said, can't play Cantor. You know? Yeah, um, exactly. And yes, he did play well for Portland uh, in the postseason. I will give him credit, um, but it's a little bit little different style going on there out west. Um, so I, I think at some point, um, they're going to need, you know, whether that's, you know, uh a trade or or you know, somebody somebody gets bought out after the the trade deadline, something along those lines. I think they do need to supplement the depth on the lineup because already Robert Williams is dinged up, uh, Daniel Tice is dinged up, Canner missed uh, seven or eight games with with his knee issue. Will he be able to stay healthy? Um that's certainly an issue that they are going to have to address sooner or later.
1: They are. Um I hear, hey, I can tell you right now, Hassan Whiteside's available. Um if you're interested. What, By the uh, way, you shouldn't you be, be interested.
0: What do you make of the Blazers? There, there's, there's some, <laughs> some, some worrisome signs going on there with that. Very
1: with that worrisome. Look, right look it, it's a couple things. I mean, part of it is look, Damian Lillard has been <laughs> unbelievable, but I mean, the, the perfect example is against the Nets, where he drops 60 and they still lose. Like this is, yes. it's become a one man show there. I'm not really worried about C.J. McCollum turning around. Like he's had a slow You'll start to the that, season. Yes. Yeah, he's fine. Yes. And their, their guard play will be fine, yes. but you know, they're not Simon, get...
0: nice, he's a nice little piece. They have too, Anthony Simon.
1: Yes, exactly. And, and they've got, so I, I think some of that stuff fits together. It's just, it is a their black hole in the middle and yeah. Oof. And Yusuf Nurkic, I think people don't even realize, yeah, he was big body played some smart defense. He was such a good playmaker for them last year. They were able to Terrific, get him the yeah. ball at the nail or at the elbow and let him create. And it just, he was a really smart player. He's gonna. Get not, he's not getting back till All Star Break ish, give or take. Nobody's exactly sure, but I've, that's the, what I keep hearing. And if we're talking that, he's still not gonna be. I mean, maybe he's right for the playoffs, maybe, but that's. Um, they're struggling to make the playoffs at that point. Yeah. They've got to. Find, I'm. I would say, you know, Hassan Whiteside. I get what they were thinking, but it, it's just a poor fit in the very basic sense of. What Nurkic provided them on one level was what Rudy Gobert will and, and Mike Conley are starting to do better with, with in Utah. He sets a huge pick, and then yes. he rolls, and he's got soft hands, and he can make plays, but he sets your yeah. pick-and-roll guards up with huge picks that that create some space for them. Whiteside's not a good pick setter. He's genuinely bad he, at he it.
0: He whips on screens almost yeah. every time he goes out the top of
1: the yeah. game. Yeah, and... Because of that, they're just not Lillard's still able to create some space. I think it's been adjustment for McCollum. Like I said, I think he's just slumping a little bit to start the season. But I just I'm not sure where you go. I don't know who becomes available that you know you know is out there. But it's it's just kind of weird to think that they picked up Hassan Whiteside, and you're like, yeah, would they have been better off with Dwight Howard because he looks pretty good setting picks and rolling right now.
0: It's true. It's true. And obviously they were they were hoping that Zach Collins would kind yes. of take a leap. You know, and then and him going down and, and being out for at least four months. Um, really, really devastated an already limited depth chart. Um, so, yes, uh, I think, you know, obviously December 15th is when all the free agents that got signed will be able to, uh, um, you know, they'll be able to to be moved in trades. Um, you listen, I know a team in New York that has an excess of, of power forward depth.
1: So yes, they that- need they need fours, desperately They need fours who can space the floor. The name you keep hearing, by the way, I mean, yeah, first off, Kevin Love's name is at the top of everybody's yeah. list. I just, there's so much money on that deal yeah. that I'm not sure even Portlander does it. I mean, he's just the first year of the 400, four, four years, 120 million. The name, everybody, the, the, if you ask me who is the guy most guaranteed to be traded before the deadline, Danilo Gallinari. Right. Um, yes. yeah. He is, He if providing he's still healthy, he provides the shooting, the depth, um, plays. You know, look, he was really good with the Clippers last year. Yeah. Um, was a lot of the reason they did make the playoffs. And you can plug and play him in Portland or a few other places. Um, Definitely. They're going to need some rim protection. That's something certainly Danilo's a stretch for who doesn't do that. Um, but. I could see him as a fit one way or another if you made me bet there's zero chance Galinari is with the Thunder at the end of the season. Totally agree
0: with you. It would make it makes no sense for the player or the team to to be on the to be, No, be in Oklahoma City. no,
1: I, I don't know that they're going to be able to move Chris Paul. Right. Um, right, right. in the short term as much as and he, by the way he's playing pretty well. He is. But I just I um I just don't yeah, too much money on the deal right now there's just got to be fewer years on that um, I, I because think Chris Paul is not going to take a discount for you agree he is getting every dollar of that and gave more power to him absolutely
0: I think one player that um, you know, just just from a Knicks perspective I think that Bobby Portis might be a guy that they would would uh, you know dangle towards Portland and, and, and try to yeah that's he, a good he, one Knicks be, you know he has as a player a team option for his, his contract next season um, so he's essentially a uh, you know expiring contract um, you know he rebound a little bit as um, a, is a a poor defender um but again can can kind of you know space the floor shot around 40 percent from three over the second half of last season um hasn't been quite as accurate this season with new york but um you know i i don't think new york would ask for a lot back it would clear out some minutes to allow kevin knox to some more playing time and, and uh mitchell robinson so that that they they, they actually might be you know th- those two teams might uh, be able to, to discuss a, a deal at some point in, in the winter
1: that makes some sense too. So yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I think the Cel- a lot of these people, the Celtics are going to lean in. They don't really need to stretch for as much. They've actually gotten away with it because of the, the way They haven't missed Horford in the regular season much or Baines in the bigs just because Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum have been good. I mean, they're like, they're playing with a comfort level again, and they can kind of get away with it. But at some point you're right. They just, they need to go find a defensive big.
0: Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Uh,
1: all right. Tommy, thanks for doing this, man. Thanks for stepping in. Where can everybody find your work uh, out on social media and everywhere else?
0: Yeah. At Tommy Beer on Twitter. Um, you can find me there. Um, any questions you might have, uh, the direct messages are open and uh, all the links to my work, etc., are uh, at Tommy Beer on Twitter.
1: All right, Tommy, it's great. I look forward to having you back on. The, you know, When the Knicks prove us wrong with a 16-game winning streak that vaults them to the top of the East, uh, I will have you back on and we'll discuss what idiots we are.
0: Yeah, you'll have me back on that? Okay, so I'll never talk to you again, Kurt. It's been nice <laughs> to you. Um, you have a great life and uh, it'd be good.
1: All right, and thank you, everybody, for listening. One way or another, with Tommy or without, we will be back next week with another edition of the Pro Basketball Talk podcast here at NBC Sports.